Welcome one, welcome all. This is the Discovering Masculinity podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, and normally I would be coming to you from the music city of Nashville, Tennessee, but when I saw this week's weather forecast, I decided, no, I need to use those Southwest points that I have and get out to uh, Phoenix, Arizona for some sunshine and warmer weather. So that's where I am recording today. And joining me on this episode of Discovering Masculinity is a huge name in the world of radio. This man is one of America's most respected radio talk show hosts and speakers. He's been broadcasting on radio in Los Angeles since 1982. His popular show became nationally syndicated in 1999 and airs live Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to noon Pacific time from his home station, KRLA. He's widely sought after by television shows for his opinions. He's appeared on Fox and Friends, Hardball, Hannity, the CBS Evening News, the Today Show, Louder with Crowder, the Daily Wire, and many others. He is a New York Times bestselling author, a syndicated columnist, filmmaker, teacher, theologian, and the list just goes on and on and on. He is Mr. Dennis Prager. Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and uh, I'm just well, so uh, am I. thank you. I, I'm thank just you just thrilled me. to have you. So, good. Jumping right into it, uh, first question that I ask each guest on the podcast: What does it mean to be a man in the 21st century in the Western world? What does what does masculinity look like to uh, to you in this day and age? I don't think masculinity uh, should have changed from. 500 years ago uh, what it looks like is is today what men look like today is a separate that's a that's a question about today what masculinity is is not uh, in my opinion uh, particularly different when i was a child so i grew up in the uh let's see the 50s and 60s, when I was very young, okay? When I was a kid, it was, it was common for my father and other men to say, be a man. This, this was the, the most frequent comment to a boy uh, growing up uh, post-World War II era, baby boomer. Didn't work because fast numbers of boomers never became men. <laughs> My generation has uh, uh, screwed this country up terribly, but uh, not this, not all, of course, of my generation, but much of it. And we all knew, be a man. We could, might not have been able to define it when we were twelve, but I I remember what I thought it meant, and it, I still believe it meant and means it is to take responsibility first and foremost for a family. Uh, you grow up, a man is a masculine man. A man is a man as opposed to 
a, a homo sapien with male genitalia. A man is a man by first and foremost marrying and secondly having children, all of which presumes both are possible. Not every man could find a woman. Most men can. Not everyone can have a child, uh, but most people can, if not through biology, then through adoption. I'll give you, I'll tell you a story you'll find fascinating, and I won't be as long-winded uh, uh, <laughs> with all my other answers, but you asked the biggie. Yeah, I, I like to lead off with the big one. I like to, right, to well, jump in with both feet with, with most everything. So. That's fine with you. I'll, 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 it's fine with me. So uh, I am... Uh, I'm a religious Jew, and uh, he, this uh, is unknown to most Jews, let alone to most, uh, to nearly any non-Jew. There is a prayer shawl that that is known to many people as a Jewish prayer shawl. I'm sure most people have seen a picture of it. And in traditional Jewish life, which is how I was raised. And uh, you you got to wear it in synagogue only if you were married, so you could you could point out all the unmarried men and of course boys by the fact that they were wearing a jacket, uh, jacket and tie, I might add, uh, but not the prayer shawl. And this was traditional Judaism's way of saying. You get to wear the prayer shawl when you become a man, and you become a man by getting married. So the the message was qu quite powerful: get married. And uh, I imbibed it. It was a uh, it was a given to me. There was no time in my life when I thought I wouldn't get married, and and hopefully have a family and take care of them. That's huge. Take care of them. So the other thing about masculinity that I would add uh, is a man is led by his mind, not his emotions. Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah, we've that to me, kind of on the, the outside looking in, at the the male gender in this day and age, especially even when I was growing up, too many men are are led by their emotions rather than than their mind. They're so reactive. They're they're too quick to to act and not quick enough to to listen and to understand. Um, what are what are some other shortcomings that you see in kind of the uh, today's American male, specifically in in my age group? I'm I'm close, close to 40, I'm, I'm 38, but you know, from 35 down to down to 25, what are some of the, the shortcomings and kind of the, uh, the ways that, that our generation needs well, to, to grow in masculinity? The, the, the first one really is get, get married. Uh, ask any male who's gotten married, did that render you uh, more of a man? Did it make you grow up? Even if your marriage stinks, and some marriages do. I've been divorced, but uh, I don't. I don't regret that being married before my current wife at all. I grew up. I got wonderful boys out of it. 
what, what, it's an example of non-masculinity when a man, when a male says, well, I, I uh, you know, my parents were divorced. Uh, I, I don't want to take the risk. I'm not getting married. That's a child speaking. Uh, what would you think of someone who said, you know, my parents got into a bad auto crash. I'm going to, I'm not going to drive. You'd think, what the hell's wrong with you? Your parents got into a bad auto crash. Even if they got killed in the crash, you're not going to drive a car because of that. You're, you're not going to get married because your parents had a divorce. What is life supposed to be painless? Grow up, baby. And I would say this to women too, by the way, women have to grow up just as much as men do. And men need that. Uh, women need men as much as men need women. But our subject is masculinity, so I'm focusing on that. So the first thing uh, is get married. And, and this notion of, well, I, I can't get married till I'm financially stable is among the most irrational comments. I've, no one has ever explained it to me. It doesn't make sense financially, and it doesn't make sense in terms of the argument that you have to grow up. What does it mean you, till you're financially stable? It's just an excuse not to get married. If you're, if you're not making a lot of money, won't you live more effectively economically if you share your expenses with somebody and, and you have a supplementary income, uh, you know, with, with whomever you, you choose to be with? It, 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 it makes no sense. Were, were men all through history, were they all financially stable when they got married at 21? How many 21-year-olds even in the past were financially stable? Another aspect of uh, in, in your age group, although I, I think it obviously rarer after 30, but there are always uh, circumstances that may necessitate it, but by and large, a person should be out of their parents' home by a certain age because it means they take care of themselves taking care of yourself is very masculine i i on my national radio show i have an hour each week which uh, is called the male female hour every wednesday mm -hmm. second hour of my show is a male female hour so one of my uh, one of the hours i said i only wanted women to call in and i said uh i want you to tell me what you associate with masculinity. I was, I had no idea what they would say. Virtually everyone said he's responsible. Mm, yeah. That, that was, that was, that was a biggie. So, uh, uh, I'll just cite my favorite book, the Bible. And in Genesis, it says in the, near, near the beginning, and therefore a man shall leave his mother and father. Wait, yeah, his mother and father. I got to do it from the Hebrew. That's how I, that's how I know it. <laughs> uh, and uh, he shall uh, cling unto his uh, wife, and they shall be as one flesh. You can't cling to your wife till you leave your mother and father. It's a brilliant, brilliant insight. Yes, yes. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, there, there's a lot of gender confusion going on in, in today's world, and... I feel like there's a lot of 
the, a lot of mainstream society or, or liberal society wants men to be more like women and want women to be more like men. And we're kind of getting really bad versions of both. Um, what would you say has, has led to that? Uh, I know what's uh, led to it. Uh, the secular society has abandoned some of the most basic concepts of life. The, the, the idea that men and women are distinct is a huge Judeo-Christian value. And um, I've just finished the third volume of my five-volume commentary of the first five books of the Bible, so this is very much on my mind. The, uh, the, one of the most important concepts of the Bible first five books which are the most important of, of all of them everything else is based on it. it's called the torah and the, it's filled with distinctions everything is distinctions so when god creates the world he makes distinction between night and day between the land and the sea but his first distinction is well not the first his first human distinction is male and female and god created the human being male and female created them. I don't care if you're an atheist. It's irrelevant to me. I'm not trying to get anybody to believe anything. I just am answering you honestly. Religious Christians and religious Jews have no problem in keeping men as males or males as men and females as, as women. So there must be a reason. There's no gender confusion in Orthodox Jewish life, in traditional Catholic life, in evangelical Christian life, etc. None. They, they know that men are men and women are women. So there must be some pattern here, and there is. I've, I've said my whole life uh, that secularism is great for government and crappy for everything else. It's a completely uh, eroding force, and it has, it's even eroded this. Uh, people hate distinctions. Uh, the first one that I, I realized in my life was the human-animal distinction. Uh, I, this happened to me in my 20s. I was on a plane, and I, I was sitting next to a woman, had a vegetarian meal. So I, I like to talk to strangers. It's one of my favorite things in life. That's why I, I hate the masks. And uh, I asked her uh, if she was a vegetarian. She said yes, and I said, why are you a vegetarian? I love to ask people the why question. She said, oh, well, because it's, I don't think it's right for us to take uh, animal life, which I, I deeply respect that view. But she didn't finish. She said, who are we humans or people to think we're more valuable than animals? And I, and I remember thinking, I can't believe this woman said this. And so I said, the, well, let me just ask you, you, you don't think there's, that humans are more valuable than animals? No. I said, well, let me just ask you, if a human and, and, and an animal were drowning, which would you say first? And there was silence. <laughs> and I remember thinking, why is she silent? Isn't this a rhetorical question? And I said, so uh, uh, did, you, did you hear my question? She said, I'm thinking. And I thought, holy crow. I learn a lot from specific moments in life. 
it's 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 a talent, if you will, or a gift. It's just a gift I got, where I see patterns very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I just wondered: does she is she idiosyncratic, or does she represent a a tendency taking place in society not to believe humans are are distinct from animals that we're just smarter, if you will, better brain, but not more valuable. So I started asking, I I was already in my twenties lecturing because I had already written a book. And uh, I remember going to schools and uh, high schools. So I just changed animal to uh, your dog. If your dog and a stranger were drowning, and I've asked this thousands of times, which would you say first? To this day, the same exact ratio. One-third say the dog, one-third say the stranger, and one-third don't know. They they just don't know what they would do. So two-thirds would not save a human being before their dog. Why? I love my dog. I don't love the stranger. And I follow love. Uh, So that's... uh, that's back to the male female. That's another distinction, which I knew very, very early on. And I'll tell you exactly when, when the movement for same sex marriage, uh, began, the biggest argument was gender doesn't matter. Only love mm-hmm. does. Yeah. I remember that. And I remember saying and writing in the nineties, wait, wait a minute. Gender doesn't, there may be a lot of arguments for gays marrying. That, that's a separate issue. But the argument gender doesn't matter, if you, if you take it to the extreme, then gender won't matter. And that's what we've had. The, the slippery slope has, has taken place. Yes. Yeah. Gender doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that this podcast exists to, to expose that, that slippery slope that we've already that we've already gone down and that, you know, to try and get some of us back onto the, you know, the other side of that slope. Um, I, I kind of, I want to talk to you about your, your journey as, as a man and what, uh, what has shaped you into, into who you are today. And maybe along that line, some talk about some of the, uh, the strong male role models that you've had in your life and, and how they've influenced you along the way. So you mean as a man, right? Because there are many, many things that have shaped me in many yes, my yeah. ideals, my thinking. So as a man, when I look back on my life, the biggest I suspect was my father, uh, who provided a very strong male model. My father was not uh, a warm father. And I don't, I don't know if he said he loved me until you know, my 20s. Uh, and it would have been nice if he did, but uh, far more important was that he offered me a strong male model. And I, uh, I, I, to this day, believe that it is more important to have a strong male model than a particularly loving father. I, I became a very loving father because... I'm, I have, I'm more emotional than my dad was and next generation, you know, that was the world war two generation In general. They weren't terribly emotional, but, 
even though I was a loving, emotional father, I've always believed that the most important thing I could give my sons, I didn't have daughters, is a, is a good male model. I still, I feel that to this day, by the way. And a, a proof is nobody is shattered like the child of a father uh, who is who fails the, his children. This is a, it, it's Bernie Madoff. Uh, one of his sons committed suicide. The other one died of cancer at a very young age. I'm not saying he, he didn't give himself cancer, but he went through hell, and I don't think that helps you health-wise. But right. uh, yeah. uh, Charlie Manson's, and, Char and Madoff is not Charlie Manson, but Charlie Manson's child committed suicide. When your father uh, is, is, is held up to ridicule, the, the damage to you is, uh, is much worse than if your child fails. It's it's very painful if you if your child uh, is a public failure. As a parent, it's very painful, but it doesn't compare to if your if your father is, especially your father. You don't hear about it nearly as much as mothers. So, uh, I get this comment very frequently on my radio show. I have for for many years, Dennis just want you to know you're a father figure to me and my answer usually is um, I'm glad I am I want to be every man should aspire to be a male model to young men that should be your goal in life but the number of men who think that way is very small Indeed. Yeah, we, we need more, we need more men that are, um, that want to be that figure that, that want to be someone who can well, initiate men, and men want to be their kid's pal. Yeah. They, yeah. They, or they want to be kids themselves still too. I mean, that's, that's right. Oh, yeah. that's exactly right. That's exactly a, right. that's a huge epidemic in, in the, the low, younger generation that, guy walking around with a you know a goatee and a backwards baseball cap it's like do you want to be a 13 year old boy or do you want to be a man like what what are what are we doing here and that's that that men definitely definitely need to be leaders not just of their own household but of their own lives too and that's uh i think that's another way that the that men have kind of fallen behind and, and have failed here in the, in more recent times. Um, what, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about fatherlessness. Um, that's seemed to become more and more of an epidemic across all demographics, not just, uh, in certain communities, but even, even among, people that are that are well off they're just not well connected with their fathers or their fathers have have left or they they're being raised by single mothers what kind of a detriment do you see that um 
impacting our society and, and the male, uh, the male gender. And the female gender, but especially yes. the male, because yeah. they're, they, they are truly, uh, often, often not always lost. Well, we all know the data that I, I don't know that, know the numbers offhand, but they're, they're astronomical of the, the chances of your ending up in prison if you don't have a father in your life versus if you do. Uh, this, uh, this issue of not having a father, uh, I'm not talking about a father who dies when you're five, has contracts cancer, because he didn't abandon you so, and, and he, he remains alive and the mother keeps the memory alive, but the father who abandoned you has led me to, uh, answer this, this asinine notion of white privilege by noting that the greatest privilege is having a, uh, a father in your life. Father privilege dwarfs white privilege. Yeah. A black kid who grows up with a mother and father in his life has way more privilege than a white kid who doesn't. Yes. But everything's yeah. backwards. We live, we live in, the, in the age of, of stupidity. You know, there was the Renaissance, the age of reason, the Enlightenment. We live in the age of stupidity. And by the way, I attribute it, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, won't agree because they have been f deeply affected by the, the, the secular indoctrination of our society. But a, 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 the stupidity emanates from uh, the, the decomposition of the Judeo-Christian world and the end of the Bible is the source of wisdom. There's no wisdom. The, 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 the most foolish institution in America is the most secular, the university. It's, the, it's yeah. the, the place where every dumb idea has originated, like men give birth. You, ha you have to be a secular professor to come up with something that uh, ridiculous. So, uh, they, they don't, they, again, in a, in a Christian, Catholic, Mormon Jewish seminary, nobody says men give birth. And it's not, this is not transphobic. This is reality. This is, if you will, science. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about Prager university here in, in the next segment and how, uh, how, how you step forward and, uh, and tried to make a difference in, in higher education and, and what that looks like. But we're going to take a quick break here. He is Mr. Dennis Prager joining us here on the Discovering Masculinity podcast. We will be right back after a couple quick words.
Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all books and materials that are referenced during the Discovering Masculinity podcast will have links in the show notes so that you can get a hold of some goodness for your mind and your heart and your soul and help you grow in your masculine journey. If you want to interact with me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the like, you can find all of those links in my link tree, which is listed in the show notes below. Now, let's get back to our interview with nationally syndicated radio host, Dennis Prager. Welcome back to the Discovering Masculinity podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, and joining us for this episode, Mr. Dennis Prager, joining us from Los Angeles, California. In, in 2011, Dennis co-founded with Alan Estrin Prager University, which is an institution of higher learning on the internet with a unique difference. All of the courses are five minutes long. The courses detail this or distill the best ideas of the best minds in the world and cover disciplines of political science, history, philosophy and religions, economics, psychology, and much more. The faculty includes Paul Johnson, George Gilder, Arthur Brooks, Peter Kreeft, and many others. So, Dennis, uh, talk to us a little bit about the uh, the early days of PragerU and uh, what led to the formation of that and. Uh, um, the overall history of, the, of uh, that platform? Started uh, on the Indian Ocean. So I, I have taken the cruise with listeners every year except the last one because of the lockdowns. Notice I don't say because of COVID. Yes. Yeah. COVID didn't cause it. Lockdowns did. Anyway, I've taken a cruise with listeners for about 25 years all over the world, all seven continents including that is Antarctica. So on, on the 2011 cruise in, in the, on the Indian Ocean, Alan Estrin, uh, producer of my show, and dear friend for many years, said, you know, uh, I've been talking to some people here. They think you should start. We think you should start a Prager University. Now, normally, I would think, He's somebody's kidding, but Alan Estrin has not told a joke, I think, in his life, but certainly in the quarter century I know him. And I go, okay, well, Alan, that's fine with me. He said, we got to get your ideas out to more people than the radio and the books. And I couldn't agree more. So his thought was that. I'll do some videos and we'll put up photos to illustrate them and see what happens. So obviously from the beginning, it wasn't thought only I would make the videos. And indeed I have only made 10% of them. There are now 450 of the five minute videos I've made, I guess about 45. So, we put them up, got a, I don't know, 50,000, 100,000, which is 
which was respectable. And that somebody said to me, listen, you'll see within a year or two, you'll get a million hits. I would have said, knowing me, from your mouth to God's ears. It's now 10 years later, and we get over a billion with a B hits. Not only a billion each year, but from all over the world. I mean, literally all over the world. I do my fireside chat for PragerU each week. That has about three quarters of a million views. And I take questions after I speak. I speak for 15 minutes, take 15 minutes of questions. And I mean, they're just from everywhere, simply everywhere. We found out there's just a, a Finnish branch of PragerU just opened. We found out that there are tens of millions of views in China. I'm amazed that they could even see Wow. <laughs> yeah, really. So uh, it's very sophisticated operation. We, we don't scream. We don't yell. Everything is backed up with data. But we do provide what, what you don't get at the university, which is rational thought. We're very committed to the American experiment in liberty. This has been an exceptional country. It's why America got the Statue of Liberty. No other country did. The left has never liked liberty. It's always destroyed it wherever it came to power. Not liberals. I always add this. Liberals love liberty. Conservatives love liberty. And the left loathes liberty. So we have been producing these things and it's 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 a pretty powerful force a lot of parents have their kids see it i mean millions of parents have their kids see it some of them pay their kids to see it which i think is a great idea i don't know how you raise kids without bribery yeah yeah <laughs> it helps it helps yes why not and i'd rather pay them to see a prager you video than not pay them and then not watch one and Play more video games. Right, yeah. Or watch something else that's going to completely rot their brain on, on Instagram or on YouTube or yeah, or whatnot. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we're, uh, we're big, and uh, we're not the only ones, but we're the biggest uh, conservative video site in the world. And it, it, it changes a lot of minds because it doesn't take long to puncture left-wing bubbles. They're all, they're all bubbles or balloons. It takes only five minutes to puncture them because they're not rooted in a reason uh, or, uh, or any uh, or intellectual foundations. They're not. They, they pretend to be intellectual, but it, men give birth is not intellectual. So we puncture th we puncture them with. Uh, that's why there are great attempts to shut us down often, because it's it is very effective. There's a, there, there are websites that are devoted to just knocking PragerU, which is a compliment. And, uh, you know, but uh, we we choose. I mean, we've got uh, three or four Pulitzer Prize winners. We've got professors from Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Princeton, 
stand, I should stand, you know, and everything in between. We have uh, three or four former prime ministers. I mean, we we are, are a sophisticated operation, and we are touching a lot of souls because yeah. we have to because we are losing the battle to the educational establishment which teaches lies like 1619 that the u.s was mm-hmm. founded not yeah. in 1776 but 1619 yeah and and with with your videos too i mean you don't you don't like you said if you have the data and you have the truth you don't need that much time and you don't need to yell and scream and create a create a scene to, to burst those bubbles to, if you've got, if you've got hard data and facts and you've got, you've got reason on your side, then you, you don't necessarily need all the, you know, all the, all the other extra stuff to, to drive your point home. And the, uh, they're released every Monday. Is that correct on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for a long time they were uh, they were part of my morning routine. You know, as I'm brushing my teeth, the new uh, the new PragerU video would go live, and so I would yeah be watching that while I was uh, getting ready every Monday morning. So that was a that was a bright spot, good way to uh, to start my week for sure. Um, so I want to switch gears to another project you uh, you were working on uh, with uh, Adam Carolla, the No Safe Spaces movie. Uh, if you could give the audience a, a quick synopsis of that project and uh, and what led to it and uh, kind of the, the, the follow through on it and uh, what's, if there's an epilogue to it. Adam you- Carolla and I have gone around the country doing events together where we, we would dialogue in front of an audience we're, and we're quite close. He's an exceptional human being. Uh, I think uh, almost a genius in terms of his perceptions of life and his ability to quickly offer a very funny take on what's happened what happens in life i really uh admire him and we uh, were asked to make a movie together a full featured film uh called no safe spaces it, it it's the name derives from safe spaces these places on campuses where they make sure that their students do not grow up into adults it's a perfect example. Safe space is a perfect example of society not demanding that boys and girls grow up. Somebody came to campus who says something you disagree with. Well, you go to this room, it's a safe space, and I've seen it on campuses, literally safe spaces. And uh, you get to watch kittens frolicking and puppies frolicking. You get, you get to play with Play-Doh. I'm not making any of this up. All of this is verifiable. And uh, you get stuffed animals to hug because a conservative came to campus. I mean, it, it is so sick. It is so detrimental to the young person. One way you grow up, to go back to your original point, is to engage in confrontation. I don't mean a duel. <laughs> I mean... You know, you don't agree. I know when I speak on campuses, I always ask those who differ with me to get in line first. Yeah. I love being challenged. I love it because I grow from it, and I and it also gives my presentations more authenticity when I answer critics. So they should welcome us on campus, but they correctly understand one hour 
of an articulate conservative will undo four years of left-wing indoctrination. So we made this movie, No Safe Spaces. You can see it, uh, nosafespaces.com. Just, I guess... We'll have I'll have uh, links to it in the in okay. the show notes. It's yeah. a great movie, by the way. It's not a great movie because I'm in it. I'm in a great movie. I always make that distinction. It is a great movie. It's riveting. I've seen it five times. I, I I would see it again and profit from it. It is it is funny. How could it not be with Adam Carolla? Right. Yeah. And deep. And the stories are are amazing. Uh, it, it's. It's a very powerful film, so I, I hope people will see it. And it's prophetic. It, it warned uh, of the shutdown of free speech in this country for the first time in American history, I might add. Yeah, yeah. that's. And I've been doing this podcast for less than a year, and that was one of the things that was gave me a little trepidation is just how hard the as you said the the left and and how hard uh, a lot of institutions have come down on free speech that it you know if i'm am i going to step out there and get myself canceled am i going to step out there and and you know create some type of adverse consequences just because i'm i'm trying to do my part and make you know fulfill fulfill my mission and and make my own dent in the universe as what kind of blowback am i going to get from it and and finally at the at the urging of at the urging of god and at, at the urging of you know being inspired by men like you and 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 steven crowder and 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 other podcasters and in and, and uh radio personalities in in your space i was just like you know i i need to do this and 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 join the fight so you know thank you for for doing that and providing inspiration for for small guys I'm like me to to, to get started um yep. And I'm just kind of amazed too. Back when I was in in high school, Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel were seemed like they were the best of friends on on the Man Show on on Comedy Central, and it just seems like they've gone to two totally different directions. And in, in in the years since, I mean, here Adam Carolla standing up for for free speech, and then Jimmy Kimmel's just kind of become a mouthpiece for the for the left through his through his late night show. So it's just kind of it's kind of, uh, that's always been kind of a head scratcher to me about how two guys can can kind of go in completely opposite directions like that. But um, it, I kind it's a phenomenon. I agree with you. Uh, I you know I never. It's the only thing that I I I don't think it's a, my position to speak to Adam about. I I. I, I want him to cherish all his friendships, and it's um, not an issue that I raise. It, it's very—it's totally fair for you to raise it, and any thinking person would. My suspicion is they just don't talk politics, and they, you know, reminisce about the old days or talk about their families. And yeah, yeah. And, well, we've got a lot of relationships like that in our own personal right, lives too. Exactly. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. So um, let's move on to another project that you've uh, that you've undertaken. There's there's so many of them. It's hard to uh, that you've accomplished in your life and that you've taken on. Um, let's talk about the the Rational Bible. You you mentioned it earlier in the in the first segment, 
And uh, I kind of want to get your uh, what what the uh, the prompting and the inspiration for that was for, for undertaking such a a deep and involved project like this. And and uh, what what have you learned from it along the way? And and how has it uh, helped you grow in your own faith? So. I've been teaching specifically the Torah, the first five books. And again, they're, they are primus inter paris. They're first among equals. You know, the whole Bible is, is important. But without the, the first five books, the Torah, the, there's nothing. You, you don't have the rest of the Bible. You don't have Judaism. You don't have Christianity. It's, it, that's where love your neighbor as yourself is. That's where God creates the world. That's Adam and Eve. That is the Ten Commandments. Uh, that is uh, the moral law. I mean, everything is in the first five books. If you, you can't understand the Bible, you can't understand Jesus if you're Christian, if you don't understand the Torah. So uh, I've been teaching it for 50 years, since, since I was 20. And I know biblical Hebrew, especially Torah Hebrew, like I know English. And I'm very lucky, because I, I studied it as a, from a very young age, and I'm very lucky that because I love grammar, and it's more important actually to know grammar than to even know vocabulary. You could always look up a word, but the grammar enables you to understand things that otherwise would not be. So, from the Hebrew, uh, I've taught it to Jews and non-Jews for decades, and my belief is that it's the most powerful. Uh, book or five books ever written and very few people understand a, a good chunk of it because it's it's heavy it's heavy going especially the the one i just finished the fifth book deuteronomy it's got 200 laws in it has no narrative only, the only story is the last chapter when moses dies everything else is moses giving or recounting laws so I have taken it upon myself, and it's been an, an incredibly complex project, to make everything clear. I explain almost everything. And it's called the Rational Bible because I explain it with reason, not faith. So it the, became the best-selling Bible commentary in the country. Uh, even uh, Costco was selling it, which... I considered a great, great moral victory. Costco <laughs> is selling, you know, my my Bible commentary. People, your listeners should uh, go to Amazon and read the reviews. There are two thousand four hundred of them. It has it has changed a lot of people's lives because it's given them reason to take the Bible and God seriously. So that's, that's my, my aim the, of the first, I didn't do it in order. I did Exodus, Genesis, and then Deuteronomy two, one, and five. I have four and three left numbers in Leviticus. Uh, but I, I am quite convinced that Deuteronomy will have turned out to be the hardest because of the, so many laws that had to be explained. Many of them esoteric, but I do. And I'm, I'm hoping that this will be my legacy to people. It, it is the greatest books. These are the greatest books ever written. Where do you, where I'd like to, I always ask this. I ask this on my radio show. Even like, if, if you don't, if you don't believe in the Bible, where do you get your wisdom from? 
And people have never been challenged with that question. What do you mean, where do I get my wisdom from? <laughs> uh, but that's the question. Where do you get? Wisdom is more important than knowledge. Oh, yes. It's, yeah. It's easy to accumulate knowledge. It's, uh, but wisdom is what matters in life. People with good intentions who aren't wise end up doing evil. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they don't have an answer. You know, they say life experience. So in other words, you get wisdom from yourself. So everybody reinvents the wheel, as it were. Now, you can get wisdom from life. There's no question. But still, wiser people than me have lived. And I want to learn from them to increase my wisdom. So... That's why I did it. It's called the Rational Bible. And uh, look, I, 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 it's the only book I wrote that I don't hesitate to promote because A, I, it's so idealistic a venture. And B, nobody writes Bible commentary to get wealthy. So uh, it's done well. I mean, all things considered, I don't, I, I don't want to complain or obscure anything, but I didn't write it to make money. I wrote it to touch lives. Uh, I, I believe that has, and, and uh, I'll have links to that as well in the, in the show notes. So everyone who wants to, to look at those Amazon reviews and, and buy their copy of the, uh, the rational Bible, uh, the, the commentaries that Dennis has written, you'll have uh, quick access to those. Um, one question I want to ask you um, is about fatherhood, kind of getting back into the, uh, the topics about fatherhood and masculinity. Um, can you just talk to us a little bit about your journey as a, as a father and, and uh, what that's taught you and, and your, your overall experience with that. You said you have, uh, you well, have two sons. One, one, yeah. That's the only way it works. The Prager family. My father had two sons. I have two sons. My son has two sons. We'll see what happens with the next son. Cause he's just gotten engaged and he wants kids. Uh, which, by the way, fills me with joy that he wants to marry and, and have children. It, it's, I, I would rather have a, a kid who wanted to do that than a kid who uh, went to Harvard and, you know, got some, got a PhD. Uh, it's the, I, I'd rather have a kid who didn't go to college, got married and had kids than a kid who went to college, got a PhD from a prestigious university and, and, and never made a family. I, there's no, there's no comparison. That's why I never pushed my kids uh, for grades. Never. I didn't care about their grades. I didn't care uh, what college they went to. I didn't care if they did go to college. I'm a very odd uh, parent in this way. And uh, I only cared about their character. I told them that. That's I only came down on them if there was a there was an ethical or moral lapse. But if they did if they did a lot of homework or not, I couldn't care less. I did no homework in high school, and I'm I'm happy with how I turned out. I, I missed my fair share of uh, homework in high school as well. So there you go, and here you and here you are, and here I am. We made so, it. So we did, yes. So what did you know? What has it taught me? Well, I, the notion that I had to be, I had to watch over my behavior. 
to be this model that I know my boys need, that, that has been pervasive in my thinking. The, uh, here's an example of brilliant Torah wisdom. So the Ten Commandments says, honor your father and mother. Two things. I have a lot of, to say about it, but two things. One, we're not told to honor anyone else in the world. Just parents. Mm. Number two, we're not told to love them. It's fascinating. It's, it's again, a brilliant thing in the Torah. So you're told, love, the, love your neighbor, love the stranger, love God, but you're never told to love your parents. Mm. That's if interesting. you can't love your parents, you can't love your parents, but you have to honor them. And parents have to work to be honorable. Goes two directions. But the, the significance of a healthy human who can honor his or her father and mother, that's so big. Children want that. And as I said earlier, I never tried to be their buddy. They can get 100 buddies they get one crack at a father yeah yeah very good very good well dennis last uh last question uh that uh that i ask each guest uh kind of similar similar to the first one but um in you you've been blessed to uh to do this every day on on your radio show and to uh to do this through your many uh your many books and speaking engagements and, and films. Um, let's say you have the opportunity to speak into the life of a young man who's uh, he's down on the world. He's kind of cynical towards life and is not really can't really see much going for him at the moment and just feels kind of stuck. That's the, the, the person that I'm trying to reach with, with this show and with this podcast and with this, this message of, of true masculinity, uh, what kind of advice and what kind of encouragement and steps would you give a, a young man in that situation? In no uh, order of importance, uh, I would say, first of all, self-control is the root to everything. Self-discipline is infinitely more important than self-esteem. Self-esteem is only er earnable. You can't get it. It can't be given to you. You have to earn it. And you earn it by doing something well. I have great respect for the, the guys who make my food at restaurants. Anything that a person does well, it, it's irrelevant to me if it's a doctor or, or a, a short order cook. You do it well, it gives you pride. Do something well. Get a job and get a girlfriend. And I don't mean a, uh, a Tinder companion for a night. I mean a girlfriend. Uh, and then, it, then get married. But start at least with a girlfriend. When I was in college, I read the book by George Gilder. Thank God has lived a long life and has actually ended up making some PragerU videos. The man's a truly brilliant man. And he wrote a book. It was called then Naked Nomads. It's not in print anymore. You get a used copy. 
and it's the subtitle was Single Men in America. And he made a point which was so, uh, it overwhelmed me, and I obviously still remember it, said people ask who commit violent crime. And they, you know, people have different theories, and they will look to economics, they'll look to race, they'll look to ethnicity. He said, no, no, there's only one common denominator of virtually every violent criminal. They're all single. And that blew my mind. The, the civilizing influence of marriage. So, uh, you know, the dead-end life that a lot of uh, boys and girls, I can't call them men and women because it's only true chronologically, but not, not otherwise, lead is, uh, it's, it's a rut. Life consists of habits, good habits and bad habits. You get into a bad habit, it's very hard to get out of it. You get into a good habit, it's very hard to get out of it. Somehow, you've got to get the hell out of there and start embracing life. Get a job. It's irrelevant what the job is. Irrelevant. I was a waiter in summer camp summer camps when I was my teens I remember the pride I took in trying to be the best waiter at camp now you know nobody gives a damn if I was the best waiter at summer camp but I did and I don't know if I was the best but I was good and I earned the only way you can get self-esteem. I earned some self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what job you have. It's so this this notion of you know prestige jobs. It just drives me crazy. You know, why, why is the CEO of an underwear company more prestigious than a short order cook? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being CEO of an underwear company, but you know, CEO, oh, wow, wow. We, we have this, uh, and, and what happens is we have this belief that these titles are critical, and but the problem is people chase it forever. Because if you're the CEO, well, I want to be a CEO of a bigger company. So people chase mirages in their life because you'll never, ever, this is my, my book on happiness is very important. Happiness is a serious problem. And people should read the reviews there too. It's, it's changed a lot of lives. And I, I just point out that there, when you pursue this stuff and think it'll bring you happiness, you just keep pursuing it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like let's say you're, you're elected a, a congressman, which is a very big deal. You're one of, you know, what, 535, whatever it is, people in the whole country. But the vast majority of them want to be then a senator. Because there are only 100 of them. And then the vast majority of the senators want to be president. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, so it's, it's endless. The, the chase for, it's a mirage that you will get your happiness from your title. You'll get your happiness from a job well done. 
That's different. Yeah. From yeah. Another title. Yeah. Yeah. And to your earlier point um, about being stuck in a rut and I've heard it quoted. I can't remember who originally made the quote, but um, a, a rut is just a grave with both ends kicked out. And so, you know, finding and, and at the end of the day, you're, you are the person that you spend the most time with. So you've got to earn that self-esteem for yourself so you can live with yourself and look and look at yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, you know, I, I may not have been the best at this, but I gave it my best effort and I can live with that. And, and I'm proud of the fact that I gave it, gave it that effort. Um, and as Jordan Peterson, who's affected a lot of young men happily, he's a great man. Yes. I yeah. know him. And I wrote the, I wrote the forward to his biography. I was honored to do so. As he said, you know, first make your bed. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. 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 I've, I've quoted him on the show a few times myself. I'd, would love to get him on here someday, but, uh, um, well, his health has to improve. He's, he's yeah. Hit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 We're praying for you, Dr. Peterson. Um, so Agreed. on, on that note, my guest for this episode of discovering masculinity is Mr. Dennis Prager. Uh, Dennis, um, anything you'd like to plug before we, uh, we wrap things up where it's the uh, best place well, for uh, people to find Dennis you. DennisPrager.com has a lot of my stuff. PragerU has, of course, these vast numbers of programs and videos. They're two separate entities. And again, the Rational Bible. If you never read a Bible in your life, I, uh, I, I wrote this for you, the person who thinks, what am I going to get out of a Bible? I don't, I'm not a believer. I don't, I don't care if you're a believer. I care if you want insight into life. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. I, I truly do appreciate it. I, I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, Pleasure, for being on the, Good work. thank you. Thank you. He is Dennis Prager. I am John Waltz. This is the discovering masculinity podcast, and I will talk to you all next time. Mm -hmm.